Jonathan and Hannah met at a fancy dinner at the Lord Baltimore Hotel, but just months later, her husband wouldn't be around anymore, and neither would they. But the voices we heard on the mezzanine and the spirits in the ballroom may be a sign that this love triangle isn't over yet. Welcome to the Low Budget Ghost Squad, Episode 5. I'm Natalie. I'm Allison. And I'm Ethan. And thanks for coming back to hear more with us. This time we're in Baltimore, Maryland, and we started doing these crazy ghost adventures in Arkansas, and really, we just kept it going. Because for some reason, these spirits keep finding us. Now, in the previous episode, we had been back in the ballroom, and Ethan, you want to tell what we saw? It looked like some ghosts may have been trying to communicate with us. They were named Hannah and Jonathan. But then, they didn't want us in there anymore. Now, Ethan used his Morse code knowledge to figure out a message being sent through the blinking lights on the ceiling. Okay, guys, those lights only started blinking when we walked in. I mean, we've seen it. They're not going off when other people are in there. Just us. I mean, it's almost as if they think we're snooping around. What? So, I think they were trying to say the word diamond to us. I think. I'm listening. So, we went back to see if we could find our friend Clovis. She's 102, by the way, but you wouldn't know it talking to her. Or watching her, really. Also, we thought maybe we'd see Christopher, who works here, because there's a big chance he's related to this Jonathan ghost guy. We got the names Jonathan and Hannah on a ghost app, that transcribes what spirits are trying to tell you, and it fits with everything that we know so far. Well, except for those weirdo words like apple and eggs. Now, Christopher has this collection of hotel archives that he's found for us, and pictures from his family. And he let us borrow them so we could check them out. And he found us in the lobby, and we told him about the word diamond. I mean, he immediately opened another folder that he brought saying, I thought this one was interesting. And oh, it was. It said, after Hannah's husband, Robert Fielding, died of a heart attack in this hotel, his family, I mean, obviously not his wife, but his sisters and nieces and what have you, raised a stink about a missing diamond necklace. It had been in the family forever. Hannah claimed Robert had sold it when the stock market crashed and tried to keep his business going. And the family always thought that she had stolen it after he died. But he may have given it to her before that, so maybe it's not actually stealing. I mean, they weren't having any of it. I mean, they went to the newspaper and the gossip columns talked about it all. Because it was a scandal. Husband dies in a hotel. Much younger wife seen in town with a young boyfriend who worked at the said hotel. And now, an expensive diamond necklace is missing. Straight out of a murder mystery. But Christopher then told us, His family had always thought they hid it somewhere because no one ever saw it again. That was in December of 1929. Now, a few weeks later, on Christmas Eve, Hannah and Jonathan had been out to some, you know, holiday celebration and came back to the hotel in a trolley. The newspaper articles claimed when Hannah got out of that trolley, she just stood there in the street. 
staring up at the hotel like she saw something and she wouldn't move. Reminded me of what happened to us when we saw a shadow figure in our window. Exactly. See, Jonathan was trying to pull her out of the way because another trolley was coming, and I guess the driver didn't see them. But witnesses said she had a look of panic, and it wasn't at the trolley coming her way. And get this, she was saying what sounded like, Robert, no. Now, did Hannah see Robert up in that window? Is that why she wouldn't move? I mean, I probably wouldn't either. The deaths of Jonathan and Hannah had been ruled an accident trolley driver said he didn't see him. But again, remember, this was just weeks after her husband, Robert, died in the hotel of a heart attack. Now, I want to say, if Robert died in early December and she's running around in public with Jonathan, I mean, that looks really bad. Now, she probably wasn't the first to be doing something like that, but that's probably why his family was so obsessed with getting that necklace back from her. I mean, you could compare that thing to maybe a little less than that Titanic necklace, you know, from the movie, but it was still pretty fabulous. Now, we took a break from our ghost mysteries, somewhat. We ventured to Fort McHenry for a little history while we were in Baltimore, You know, the much-dreaded history lesson that Ethan likes to complain about. And Mom wanted to take the free bus to get there. Allison, that's what low budget means. You take the free stuff. I mean, I don't know what the problem was there, but anyway. It was from this fort that Francis Scott Key saw the U.S. flag still flying after the British bombardment during the War of 1812. I mean, I just love that word, bombardment. He was so inspired that he wrote the poem that would become America's national anthem. Great display, by the way, if you ever get a chance to go there. So Fort McHenry had been a small fort at first called Fort Whetstone. I think that's how you say that. And it was built for the American Revolution. But in 1798, they expanded it to what would become Fort McHenry, named after James McHenry, who was from Baltimore and was George Washington's Secretary of War, and at one point a buddy of Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. I'd start from the beginning of the song, but we have too young of viewers for that to happen, because there's some bad words in there. That was some nice singing, by the way. So, um, allegedly, now people have been executed at this fort, And during the Civil War, it also served as a prison. And then it was a hospital for a while during World War I. And then in 1918, you had a flu epidemic around the world. So you had patients there for that. But what all this means, all this history, is that there's been a lot of death and anguish surrounding it. And in our world, that means ghost stories. I'll tell one of them. So this army lieutenant was killed in the War of 1812. Levi Claggett, I think his name is. And people have claimed to see a soldier walking along the upper walls. Now, that's believed to be Levi, I think because of where he was killed. Not quite sure on that, though. Tourists will ask, hey, is there a battle reenactment going on today? I I I saw somebody dressed up up there. But no, no reenactment. And Levi Claggett was gone. Now, Mom thought she saw him, and she started taking pictures. Okay, so in my defense, all I could see was a silhouette, and that story was on my mind. So, of course, as a low-budget Ghost Squad member, I started taking pictures. Lots of pictures. And it turns out, 
It was just some woman up there with two or three little kids. But you couldn't see them at the time. I mean, the way the sun was coming down. And she didn't look like an old soldier either. So another story involves a woman whose husband may have been stationed there in the 1920s. But I don't think she liked it that much. She's known to push people down the stairs. Now, according to some of these ghost hunting sites, she lost her children, maybe in the flu epidemic at the fort. And one woman reported that she felt like she was being watched, maybe by this unhappy wife. I mean, they do have national park rangers who work there, so, you know, maybe they were just watching her too. I don't know. What was she doing? Anyway, the thing that sticks out to me at Fort McHenry when it comes to ghosts is the jail. Now, some have claimed if you touch the wall, you may feel a random warm spot, which I guess would mean a spirit was there. Now, this was a place where probably not nice things went on. So who knows who could still be hanging around in there? And you can see our pictures that we took from inside the jail kind of testing that out on our social media. Now, I'll be honest, our ghost app didn't register much. A little orange here and there. Not red. Nothing like at the Lord Baltimore. When we got back to the hotel, I had to go get another phone charger because all our phones were about to die. Again, we know why. Ghosts like to zap that energy. But I walked into our room on the 16th floor, and there she was. That woman that I've seen in the middle of the night, but now it's the middle of the day. She looked at me and was like looking to see if anyone else was standing there with me. I can't explain it. It's just the way her eyes were looking around. And she did not seem happy that I was there by myself. And then the door slammed in my face. So what did this low-budget Ghost Squad member do? I slowly opened it back up. Now, why would you do that? Because this was a ghost emergency. We had a ghost in our room. The lights were flashing. And she was, I don't know how to describe this, like vanishing or fading. And then she was gone. Now, Christopher and others have said spirits just appear in rooms or in the hallways. But it still freaks you out when you see it. Oh, and get this, we were told sometimes you can smell something like lavender in the air if you're around a spirit. That's a new one to me. When mom came back downstairs, we had already met with Clovis again. This time, she was alone. Now, Clovis told us she wanted to look around some. And when I say told us she wanted to look around, that meant we had to go with her right then and there. Yeah, she wasn't waiting. Uh, But that's fine with me, really, because she seems to know more than anyone else. And remember, being there helps her memory come back. Now, she wanted to go into the speakeasy. She said it was somewhere that had been off limits to her as a child. And her mother would have been furious if she had gone in there, for obvious reasons. She said she used to watch people go in. Some would try to be sneaky. Others didn't really care if anybody saw them. Because remember, it was technically illegal because in a speakeasy, they sell liquor, which you weren't allowed to do for a while in the United States. So now she always goes inside there. Every visit, no matter what. And this was really funny and sweet at the same time. She looked up toward the ceiling and said, look where I am, Mama. 
and you can't stop me. And Clovis says she's seen a ghost or two. She had seen Molly. Remember, she was a little girl who played with the red ball. Clovis said she saw her when she was younger, but she said it looked like Molly wanted to play. But Clovis just ran away. Now, nobody believed her at first, especially her mother. But as the years and decades went by and more and more stories were being told about Molly, she thinks her mother finally believed her. She thinks. As Clovis was going around the speakeasy, she told us that it was originally two stories and, of course, hidden away. Everything was renovated in 2013, and that's how they found it. According to articles... They also found old, tarnished silverware, some antique fixtures, and some bottles. Empty bourbon bottles. And she remembered this because they all had the same label. A liquor company that had gone out of business decades ago. It was called Apple Valley, which is a cute name, I guess. And it was high-end, apparently. The drink of choice for the well-to-do that came into the secret bar. They would also have plenty on hand to send up to the rooms of certain special guests. You know, the ones with the money, like Robert Fielding. And you may have noticed what we noticed. Apple Valley. Apple. The strange word that appeared with all those red bars on the ghost app. Apple. Coincidence? I think not. Clovis wasn't done sharing her stories. She remembered a scary time she was there. It was in 1980, and there was a fire, and people had to evacuate. I mean, everything was okay. It was contained to a suite that was used for storage pretty much by then. So really, just some mattresses burned. But according to the newspaper, the Baltimore Sun, the police said it was like a circus outside. I mean, you had traffic, everybody coming out of the hotel, and then just the nosies who wanted to watch it all happen from the sidewalk. You say that like that wouldn't be us. Good point. But as we listened to her tell the story, she said it was on the 18th floor. That's where Robert Fielding had died, where his room had been. Not to mention that there had been two other fires about 18 months before that. Now, we were having fun listening to Clovis tell her stories, but then Augustus, the security guard, appeared, and he looked at Clovis and said, Miss Clovis, you okay in here with them? And she said, these are my friends, and they're talking to ghosts. He laughed and said, yeah, I know who they are. Those podcast people that are always running all over the place. And with that, he left. Earlier, we noticed that we still had some of the logs and folders that Christopher had let us borrow. I guess he didn't notice that we didn't give them all back when we had seen him earlier in the day. And I am so glad we still have some of those because of what we found. You know, when this hotel opened, you could get a room for as little as $3. A suite would run you up to 17 bucks. Now, that was big money at the time, and it advertised that every room had a radio, and I believe they had some sort of bathroom, too, which, if you think about it, was probably a big deal. This was considered one of the finest hotels here. The opening party back in 1928 was broadcasted over the radio. So the well-to-do may have come to stay just to be here in this grand hotel. And that was probably the case for Robert and Hannah Fielding when he died of that heart attack in December of 1929. 
Well, I should say heart attack, not heart attack, because you know we are a little suspicious. We were back in our room sifting through everything. One of the logs that Christopher gave us was a security log. And that security log detailed everything that happened the morning that Robert Fielding died. So, the log said that Hannah came running out of the suite yelling about needing help. Now, remember, we mentioned that each floor had a clerk or a position like that to hand out keys and kind of help keep an eye on things on the different floors. Well, the clerk that was on duty near the Fielding's room was named Mary, according to the log. Now, she said that she ran down to their suite and saw Robert dead. Now, Mary came back out and ran to her post. She tried to reach out to the front desk to tell them what happened, but she couldn't get through. So she claimed that guy from the laundry was there at her desk. She thought his name was John or Jonathan or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was pushing a laundry cart, and she said he offered to go downstairs to get some help. Now, I can assume that that was probably our ghost Jonathan, you know, Hannah's boyfriend who she met here at the hotel. And I can probably guess that he wasn't in any big of a hurry to go and get help. At the same time, we all three saw a note written in there. And it was scribbled off to the side. It said the clerk's name was Mary McPhail. And with Mary McPhail that morning was her young daughter, Clovis. I mean, you won't believe how detailed this thing was. It said Robert's body was slumped over the table. And remember the newspaper that mentioned the bourbon that had been dripping on the floor? I mean, it was weirdly descriptive. Well, that bourbon, according to the security logs, was the Apple Valley brand. Like the ghost app said, Apple. But in the list of everything that was on the table, you know, but like along with the body, there wasn't a glass or a plate mentioned. It had all the utensils on the list and napkins and fruit bowl, but... And even what was in the fruit bowl. So you had a breakfast plate missing and maybe a bourbon glass too. And it said Hannah was hysterical, yelling, I love you, Robert, over and over again as she was clinging onto his body. They had to pull her away just to move him. And guys, his medicine was also on the table. It was something they used back then for problems, but not now. Yeah, definitely not now because it was strychnine. It's a poison, and if you take too much, or if you're given too much, let's say in your breakfast, well... Coming up on the Low Budget Ghost Squad, you do not even want to know how I ended up hiding under a table. And I think these ghosts have sent a message on the wall of the ballroom. The Low Budget Ghost Squad is part of Spellbound Productions, created written, directed, produced, edited, and whatever else by yours truly. Lucinda Peterson did the awesome artwork. And of course, thank you to Allison and Ethan for playing along with this because it's not as much fun to ghost hunt and solve mysteries by yourself. (laughs) 